change us as you see fit. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we are starting a new series. And uh, our series I mentioned last week is called Refresh, and it's going to be a four-week series, and we're going to refresh ourselves on, a, on four different subjects. And today it's about our vision. So that's the title, Refresh Our Vision. If you were with us last week as we had our summer's end celebration, uh, you might remember that I pointed out John chapter 15 in the first five verses. John 15, the Lord Jesus Christ is speaking to his disciples, and he says this, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me... You can do nothing. So we looked last week, and I would remind you this morning that most certainly we are the branches. First Baptist Church has been a fruitful branch over the years. Thank the Lord for that. And God loves us so much, and He sees our potential that He chose to purge us in order to be able to channel more of his life through us. And all we have to do is abide in the vine. That's all we have to do. All we have to do, church, is stay put. So regardless of what happens in our life, regardless of what happens in our circumstances, we're not going to panic. We're not going to run. And we're not going to change the things we believe in order to suit somebody's modern version of a popular opinion. We are going to abide. That's what we are going to do. Why are we going to do that? Because there's nothing wrong with the things that we believe. There's nothing wrong with the things that we've been doing. Sometimes we just forget. Sometimes we just need to be refreshed in our memory of the things that we have always stood on, and always done. So that's the theme for this month. If you've been with our church for some time and throughout this last year, you would know that our last Bible study series was the book of 2 Peter. And in the book of 2 Peter, we talked about spiritual growth and maturity for quite some time. And in chapter number 1 of 2 Peter, and in verses 12 and 13, I want to draw your attention where Peter says, Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though you know them, and be established in the present truth. Peter wasn't afraid to say, I'm going to tell you about some things. Oh, don't forget, Peter was under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. He said, I'm not going to tell you anything new. I'm going to tell you about things that you already know and things that you've already actually been established in. Why are we going to do that? Well, verse 13, Yea, I think it meet, as long as I am in this tabernacle, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. And that's our goal. That's what we want to do this month. We want to refresh our memory of the things that we've said and the things that were done. And if you happen to be new here today, if this happens to be your first or second or third time and you're checking out First Baptist Church, you don't know a lot about us, man, this is a good time to be here. This, this week, this month, 
because we're going to be talking about our values. We're going to be talking about vision. We're going to talk about what we're all about. For many of us, it's a refresher. But if it's new to you, man, you're, you're getting a peek behind the curtain and you get an understanding of who we are. In your notes, I put this. The goal of this series is to stir you up. Just put it right out there on the front so you can understand it. The Bible says in Proverbs 29 and verse 18, where there is no vision, the people perish. Why is that? Well, because vision motivates ministry, and ministry gives way to new life. So what we need to do is refresh our vision and get out there and rescue some people. Have you seen this picture? This is famous. It's been all over, the, all over the internet the last week or so. This picture is on almost everybody's feed who puts a Houston picture out there of this man rescuing this family through the floodwaters. Okay, there's tons and tons and tons of photos you've all seen throughout the news. Let's take the spiritual application. Let's refresh our vision, and let's go out there and rescue some people. That's what I want to do. I want to stir you up by way of clarifying your vision so that you can then take these things and run with them. The first way we're going to start, point number one in your notes, we're going to define God's vision. We're going to define God's vision. And please understand, God's vision for this world, God's vision for humanity in, as, in general, it's never changed. It all starts from the very beginning, God's very first commandment to men, Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 28, where he says unto Adam, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. That is God's plan. That is what God wants to do. That's what they were to do. He told man, Adam and Eve, what were they to do? They were to be fruitful, they were to multiply, and they were to replenish the earth. So in your notes, I put it this way. God's vision for man has to do with reproduction. That's very simple. There were only two of them. They needed to populate the planet. So physically speaking, that's obviously the application. Physically and literally, Adam and Eve were the first human beings, and they were to begin to reproduce so that ultimately they would fill the entire earth. Now, if you were to look in Genesis chapter 2, in the last five or six verses of Genesis chapter 2, you, you see the story, how God lays out the details of how he brought Eve along, right? So we know that at the end, in the middle of chapter 2, Adam is given the task of naming all the animals, right? So that had to have been... Interesting. How do he come up with some of those names? Uh, he names all the animals, and as he goes through the list, you know, he's seeing them, you know, together, I guess, you know, male and female. God created all of them, and, and Adam's like, well, was, I've looked at them all. Nothing really suits me, Lord. <laughs> and so the Lord's like, yeah, you know, you're probably tired. Just go ahead and take a nap. And so, you know, he does. He goes and takes a nap, and you know the story, and the Lord takes the rib, and he makes the woman, and she becomes the perfect partner for the man, right? This is God's plan, and uh, they are to live their lives together, and together they are going to fulfill God's plan and vision for humanity, and that is to be fruitful, and to multiply, and to fill the earth. Literally, this is one very important reason for a marriage union, right? It's to propagate life. It's to propagate life. And so what happens next? So we saw Genesis 1 and we saw Genesis 2. What happens immediately in Genesis chapter 3? We're introduced to a new character, the serpent, the devil, and Satan. 
And why does he show up right then? Because the devil understands that if Adam and Eve are going to be effective and they are going to repopulate this earth, that they are going to rule the show and the devil wants to rule the show. So what he's going to do very cleverly is he's going to introduce temptation to sin before they start having children. And that's what happened. They fall into sin before they ever have children. The devil's plan has always been to corrupt the seed, the perfect seed, before they can reproduce. And so he was successful in doing that. Eve sinned. She gave to her husband. He sinned with her. And God then brings down punishment. Look in Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. We're looking at God's vision for the world, right? And the Lord God said, notice, unto the serpent. This is written unto the devil. Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle. And above every beast of the field, upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, notice, and between thy seed and her seed. It, her seed, shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. So this promised seed of a woman is ultimately going to destroy the work of the devil. By the way, you biology majors, women don't have seed. So this is a prophecy of the virgin birth. This is a prophecy of the virgin birth and the first prophecy of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, who would be the one to bring on the destruction of the devil. So, spiritually speaking, because this is where it really gets interesting, If you would pay attention in Genesis 1 and in Genesis 2, before Genesis 3, right, Adam's children, had he had them prior to sinning, right, would also not just be the sons of Adam, they would have also been the sons of God. If you look at the genealogy that Luke gives in Luke chapter 3, and Luke's genealogy runs backwards, you know, all the way from Adam, and it comes all the way down, I mean all the way to Adam, coming back from Jesus Christ, and at the end of the very chapter 3 of Luke in verse 38, which talks about the son of this and the son of that one, which was the son of Adam, notice, which was the son of God. Adam was the son of God, just like we say Jesus is the son of God, just like we say we are sons of God by faith in Jesus Christ. Before sin, he was completely and totally in the image and likeness of of God his Father. And so if they would have propagated their life without sin, all of their children, notice, would not just be human beings, they would also be spiritual beings. They would be sons of God. That's why the devil had to move move swiftly. That's why they had to fall from God's likeness before they started having children. And so that's what we see throughout the Bible. Satan works to destroy this promised lineage, the seed. And God works to preserve it. And so what happens? The first children that are born, right? Cain and Abel. And Cain kills Abel. He's trying to kill the seed. But God comes back and gives another child, Seth, through which the narrative continues. And you can run the narrative on your own throughout the scriptures. Abraham and Sarah, for example, uh, she was barren and she couldn't have a child and they came up with their own plan, which wasn't God's plan, but ultimately God gives a miraculous birth to Sarah 
in her older years of life, and that was Isaac. You could take the story of Moses and how they were in Egypt, in bondage to Egypt, the Israelites, and and Moses' mother wouldn't obey Pharaoh's command of killing all the male Hebrew children, but puts them in the ark and sends them down the river. And the devil, once again through Pharaoh, a type of the devil, is trying to destroy the promised seed by killing all the Hebrew children. But God preserves Moses. The same with Jesus Christ, with Herod. Kill all the Hebrew children. But God saves Jesus Christ, and they go to Egypt for a time, and then they come back. So similar to the physical life, spiritual fruit-bearing is bringing new life, right? Physically, it's giving new life and propagation of the species, right? But spiritually, it's also bringing new life. It's spiritual reproduction. This is God's vision. Jesus said in John chapter 10 and verse number 10, right, I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. And of course, he can offer that because in John 14 and verse number 6, he says, I am the life. I am the life. I don't just possess it. I am the life. Why did Jesus come? Well, he said in John 10, I came that you might have life. In Luke 19 and verse 10, it says that he came to seek and to save that which was lost. What was lost? Not just human beings. What was lost is the image of God in human beings. And he does that by giving us his life. Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 1, talks about how we were dead in trespasses and sins. And in verse number 5, it talks about how he quickened us. He made us alive in Jesus Christ. Spiritual fruit bearing is bringing new life. That's what it is. So just like physical reproduction, without it, the human race ceases to exist. Similarly, without spiritual reproduction, well, disciples cease to exist. And I lived 14 years of my life in a country in Eastern Europe that after World War II, communism was so strong, they literally ceased to have Christian believers. And all it takes is one generation, y'all. If in one generation you quit winning people to the Lord, there is no more generation. And Albania started over in the early 1990s with no Christians from ground zero. That can happen at any time if we're not faithful to to fulfill God's vision for all of us. And by the way, if that's true, and it is, what else compares to that? What else really matters? It's God's will, it's God's plan, it's God's mission, it's God's vision for the reproduction of life. Eternal, spiritual life. In fact, and you've got to get this, this is in your notes, fruit-bearing is our very purpose for being. We have no purpose for life if we're not bearing fruit. Look with me in Luke chapter 13. Starting in verse number 6, notice it says, He spake also this parable. This is a parable. That means it's an illustration of something he's trying to teach us spiritually. He spake also this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. And he came and what did he do? He sought fruit thereon. Because if you plant a fig tree, you don't want it to just look nice. You want figs. And he found none. Then said he unto the dresser of his vineyard, Behold, these three years I come, what is he doing? Seeking fruit. On this fig tree and find none, cut it down. 
Why cumbereth it the ground? And he answering said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also, till I shall dig about it and dung it. And if it bear fruit, well, and if not, then after that thou shalt cut it down. That little phrase in there that says, you know, if it doesn't bear any fruit, he says, and I, I like the old English here, why cumbereth it the ground? You know what that means? You know what that means, kids? Why cumbereth it the ground? It means, why are you just taking up space? Why are you just taking, why are you wasting space? I planted you here to produce fruit, and you're not producing fruit. You're just taking up space. And the dresser of the vineyard says, man, if you're just taking up space, might as well cut you down. There's room for somebody else. We could make this space available for somebody else, right? Remember John 15? The branch that doesn't produce fruit, he takes it away. And the branch that does produce fruit, well, he purges it so that it can produce more fruit. This is the general vision that God presents to us in his word. To be fruitful, to multiply, and to fill the earth with sons of God. There is no concession made for God's people to remain barren. God's vision for you is never just come to church once a week and sit and listen to a sermon and do nothing about it. Do you understand that? That's God's vision for all mankind. But what about us? What about our specific vision? In other words, what is going to be our application here at First Baptist Church of God's general vision? Well, that's number two, refresh our vision. We define God's vision, and then we refresh our vision. So in other words, our vision must be consistent with God's vision, amen? amen. And we can't just come up with our own plan and expect it to work. Our vision as a local church has to be just our particular application of God's stated will. In other words, it's how we trust God to live out his vision for the church in general right here in New Philadelphia. So we have a mission statement. Every church pretty much has a mission statement. They all, in my opinion, say basically the same thing. We want to glorify the Lord and bear fruit and do cool things. And we chose to say it this way. And this is our mission statement, making a difference by loving as Jesus loved, growing in the grace and knowledge of him and sharing his message with the world. That's our, that's our mission statement as a church. And it's broken down into basically three categories, right? We have loving, we have growing, and we have sharing. And so we've shared this with you before. And very quickly, I want to point your attention. We have a diagram that we usually use to describe this. And so we use a balance scale. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about it, but the idea is this. These are our seven core values as a church. And so you have on the left-hand side, just notice under the balance plate, it says these are things that define who we are. They're under the category of love, loving God and loving people. The fulcrum, the balance point in the middle, that's the word of God. It, it's, it's the base upon which everything is balanced. Otherwise, we don't have any balance and we don't have any understanding of what we're doing. And on the right-hand side, balanced with who we are, is what we do. And so what we're talking about when we talk about our specific vision, we're talking about the right-hand side of this balance diagram. We're talking about what God expects for us to do based on who we are. And when churches get out of balance is when they get messed up. We, all we do is emphasize 
us and we and me and my and how I am and I love God and God loves me and let's have a picnic. And yet they never go and actually do anything to make disciples. That church is out of balance. You know, there's other churches that work, 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 and they're running on empty. Those churches are out of balance. And so what we do has to flow from an overflow of who we are, but for the purpose of today's conversation, and those of you who have been in our church a long time, this is, this is well-trodden ground for you. We've gone over this a lot. We're looking at that right-hand side, okay? Spiritual multiplication slash reproduction. I've been talking about this for the nine years that I've been here with you. So this is nothing new, okay? So this is what we're talking about. God's big vision is reproduction. First Baptist Church's vision is going to have to do with reproduction. Of course, right? That's the goal. So now we're going to go back to Genesis 1.28. God's original plan, right? Be fruitful. Well, obviously, that's evangelism. That's individual reproduction of the life of Jesus Christ that is in you into the life of somebody new. It's when you take the word of God and you share it with somebody else, they of their own free will receive it, and they become a son of God. That's spiritual reproduction. That's fruit bearing. They're fruitful, right? And then multiply. Well, that's discipleship. Because discipleship, you train up that child in the way they should go. That child begins to have spiritual children. You continue to have spiritual children. This goes to the second and the third generation and onward. And what happens is we're not just adding people to the kingdom. Now we're multiplying people into the kingdom. So it's going to be a part of our vision to have evangelism, to have personal discipleship, and then lastly to replenish the earth would be church planting. We want to see this earth filled with new families of faith. And what do new families do? They make new babies who grow up and teach and train them that can have more children that can continue on and on all over the planet. And so in that, there's going to be an application for us locally, nationally, and internationally. And so we've spent the summer and we've talked all about international missions and we've brought a lot of our friends in and we've had a great time getting to know them and their ministries. And so I'm not going to talk about missions and I'm not going to talk about our international ministry partners We're so thankful for that. But today, we're going to talk more about what are we going to do locally? What are we going to do nationally? Because we just want to hit the reset button. We just want to recharge our batteries. We want to refresh our minds on the things that God has called us to do. So, refreshing our understanding of our vision to start new churches. I want you to understand, ever since I became your pastor... It has never been my vision that First Baptist Church would always get larger and larger and larger such that we needed a larger auditorium and multiple services and more parking and let's bring everybody to this campus. That's never been my vision. My vision has always been that we would win people to the Lord regularly, yes, that we would grow in numbers, of course, but that at the same time we would be constantly training people till they would respond with maturity, proven maturity, to be sent out to start new families of faith in new locations. And whether that be locally or whether that be internationally would be as the Lord leads. leads. Next week we're going to talk about spiritual growth, and we have talked a lot about spiritual growth in this church, and we're going to refresh our minds about what that's all about. But let me just tell you, numerical growth in a church is fantastic. We say it's a sign of health. 
And I would say, yes, if we are healthy and we are doing what we're supposed to do, we are winning others to the Lord, there should be more people showing up and learning. Amen. But it is not the ultimate end of the sign of health. Because growth is nothing more than an an incidental step. It's a necessary step in order to achieve the actual goal, which is reproduction. Take Take the physical example. The physical example is you're young and you're growing up through your teenage years and your young adulthood and then one day, you know, you meet the man or woman of your dreams and you get married and, and you ultimately, what, typically want to have a family and you want to have children and you want to raise children and that's the normal life cycle, isn't it? Well, what doesn't happen is you don't want, if you're a parent, let me tell you what you don't want. What you don't want is the kid you know, when they're little, you take them to the doctor, they're growing. Oh, how do we know they're healthy? Well, I mean, they're growing. You weigh the kid. They measure how long. They say tall, long, whatever. And, you know, they're getting bigger, and everything looks good. So if they're getting bigger, they're healthy. But, man, parents, aren't you all glad that about 15, 16, 17, they quit growing? I mean, really? I mean, what if to 30 and 35, what if they just kept growing? I mean, you know the only species of creature that doesn't stop growing its entire life are reptiles? You ever notice that? Run that through the Bible and see how positive that is. The whole point is, you have a growth cycle to the point where you grow to full maturity. And when you hit complete maturity, the sign of health is no longer growth. The sign of health is reproduction. It's reproduction. And so it's natural Families want children, right? So spiritual growth is simply a necessary step to achieve reproduction. Uh, I went back in my archives. You, I moved here in January of 2009, and I preached basically a sermon very similar to this, all of these points, in the first Sunday of March in 2009. <laughs> so if you've been around that long, this is, again, things you have well known, but let me refresh your memory. Back in Genesis chapter 1, as God is creating everything, in verse number 11, it says that everything that God made reproduces how? After its kind. After its kind. After its kind. God made everything to reproduce after its kind, right? So apple trees don't produce oranges. They produce apples. And birds produce birds, and monkeys produce monkeys, and human beings produce human beings, and sons of God produce sons of God, And local churches produce local churches. I mean, we do say that we believe that the church is not an organization, but an organism. Don't we say that? And if it is a living organism, and if that organism, by the way, which is also called the bride of Christ, and if the bride has a healthy love relationship with the bridegroom, the natural result is fruit-bearing, isn't it? Isn't the natural result reproducing after its kind so the lord jesus christ loves our church and he desires for us to be a fruitful bride there's no question about it so my vision for our church is what i've been trusting god for ever since i came here and it's to send out leaders from first baptist church that'll start new churches Uh, i've been working towards that that's why we constantly talk so much about training we talk about discipleship We talk about MTT. We talk about the Bible Institute. We talk about the things that we have available, and some of you are sick of me talking about it. Well, maybe it's not for everybody. I get it, but listen, let me tell you, we have to be true to the vision, and the vision has to be true to God's vision. Do you see how this plays out? It all fits together. 
Why is that? Because new churches stimulate new evangelism and discipleship. New churches stimulate faith, y'all. When a person or a family is going to trust the Lord to go start a new church, they are going to be praying and trusting God more than ever before. Families that go with them will be praying and trusting God more than ever before. The people among us that have to step up and take their places that they vacated in ministry have to trust God more than ever before. Oh, and Hebrews eleven six says, without faith, it's really, really hard to please God. Is that what it says? It's impossible. So if we make it our plan to do things that are not comfortable, if we make it our plan to force ourselves to trust God more, God's pleased. He's pleased. And I don't know about you. I want to please the Lord. You want to please the Lord too. That's why we do it. Well, where are we going to do it? Well, the easy answer is wherever. But I think we can sharpen our pencils a little bit on that, don't you? Um, Let me just tell you. I know, believe me, I sometimes am the last guy to hear stuff around here. I am. But eventually, if you say it long enough and loud enough, I'm going to hear it. And I know that there are some people who don't really love the fact that I talk about missions all the time. I know. I've gotten actually some letters, okay? And uh, I know that there's some people that say, that's all Jeff cares about. All Jeff cares about is missions. What about us? What about our neighborhood? We got plenty of needy people around here. Well, I hope we've proven that we care about our people around here too. But listen, that is a misconception. That is just not true. It is not true that I care only about, and I do love it. I do love the world. I do love missions. I think God does. I think it's God's heartbeat, and I won't apologize for that. But the people who would make such accusations, and I don't mean to get off track, are typically people who are very selfish. There are people who are just, they will never in a million years consider surrendering their lives to do something like that, and they don't care about the peoples of this world. They just care about us and me and mine and here. Well, I don't mean to just, you know, bash this too hard. I'm just trying to point out the fact that God cares about all of that. Our world is much bigger than just us, and it's bigger than just the English-speaking people, okay? And, and by the way, if you happen to be one of the few, the proud, <laughs> you know, the international missionaries as a career, you just happen to have signed up for, like, the coolest job ever. Um, so, you know, just throwing that out there. But where can we trust God to start new churches? Well, I've got a couple of places in mind, and I want you to pray with me about it. The first one is Ohio's five largest cities. The five largest cities in our fair state, Columbus, Cleveland, Cincinnati, Toledo, and Akron. Okay? And what I would like to see is a like-minded church. I mean with our DNA that loves us and we love them and we fellowship together and we can build a network of fellowshipping strong churches in the Great Lakes region. So we have a partner church and we love and they're in the Toledo area already and they're praying about reaching out and sending people to other towns and they may consider Cincinnati because it's closer to them, for example. But, you know, as a starting point from little old New Philadelphia, why can't we prayerfully ask God for children in the faith, new congregations in Columbus, Cleveland, and Akron. Now, the details of how God works that out is God's business, and we're all willing to say, okay, Lord, you wanted us to go somewhere else. Okay, we'll listen. 
but we have to have a statement of faith, don't we? We have to have something we're praying about, can't we? Can't we have something that we're trusting God for and see what he would do? Listen, if we start churches within a two-hour radius of here, no more than a two-hour drive from right here, you know what we can do from, from New Philadelphia? You may never leave. You're never going to give up your address and go move to Columbus or wherever else, but we can send teams of evangelists to help you get started. We can send teams of people to help you with your children's ministry on a Sunday morning. We can send teams of people to help you get started with discipleship. And and everybody, we can still live here. There's ways that we can support you if we consider starting churches in this Great Lakes region. And so as a matter of prayer, as a matter of refreshing our vision based on God's vision, hey man, let's trust the Lord to do this. Let's prayerfully consider these three cities that are on the center eastern half of our state. And as the wheels are turning in your mind, and we'll get to it in a second, I want you to consider, what about me? Could I help? Would God use me to help in one of those situations? You might think, man, I was kind of leave anyway. I mean, I might as well go there. I mean, whatever it does, man, let's just make it happen. Okay, Ohio's five largest cities, then let's move on to the USA's least churched areas. You want something to pray about within the context of the United States of America? We talk about the world a lot. Let's talk about our country. Where should we consider starting new churches in the United States of America? Well, how about the places that are known to have the least amount of Bible literacy? You know, there's there's an organization called the Barna Group, and they do a lot of surveys and gathering of information. And Barna listed the places that have the lowest Bible literacy among cities in the United States of America. You know what the number one city is for, for poor Bible literacy? Anybody want to guess? Just guess. That's not it. All right, let me just tell you because I can't hear five people. Okay, it's San Francisco. It's San Francisco. Uh, you know what's a close second to San Francisco? It's Boston. Uh, listen, there's places. You know, where the, you know where generally these cities are going to be grouped? They're going to be New England. It's going to be Massachusetts, Vermont, New Hampshire, Maine, Connecticut. You know where else? It's going to be the West Coast. From Arizona all along the Pacific Coast all the way up to Washington State. Those major cities along that region are some of the lowest Bible literacy rates, the highest percentage of unchurched people. And according to Barna's research, an unchurched person is any person who has not been to a church of any kind in the last six months. Well, the last six months, I'm surprised it's only 60% unchurched in San Francisco. I'm surprised it's only 53% unchurched in Boston, 48% in New York City, and the list goes on and on. You can Google it for yourself. At the end of the day, the truth of the matter is there's just lost people everywhere. I mean, the truth of the matter is We could start another church in this town if we wanted to. We could go to Canton. We could go to Youngstown. We could go anywhere we wanted to. We go to Newcomers. It doesn't matter where we go. There's lost people everywhere that need the Lord Jesus Christ. So wherever the Lord leads, praise the Lord. We want to cooperate. Absolutely. But hey, man, let's have a statement of faith. Let's have a vision, right? Let's go for something, right? You aim at nothing, you hit it every time. But let me tell you something. Concerning the, the, the United States' least Bible literate people, There's less going on for the Lord in some of those places, kind of like Albania was when I went there. If you're willing to go to an area where people kind of just don't care, 
You have to know the Lord is in that, right? I mean, he gave his life for those precious souls. And if you're willing to say, I'll stand in the gap, I'll go bring the word to them, you know Jesus is down with that, right? I mean, he is all about getting the word to everybody. You know the the highest Bible literacy rate, you know that region, don't you? That's our favorite football conference, the Southeast down there. I said that to make you mad. Don't, let's not go down there. They got plenty down there. Just kidding. By the way, FYI, uh, in October, in mid-October, I have planned a trip to go visit a pastor that I know in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and I'm going to be looking at the possibility, and we'll talk more about this and we can pray together, about potentially starting a ministry maybe a vacation Bible school thing for kids with some of the Native Americans that are in New Mexico. And that could open up opportunities for mission trips for teenagers, for children's ministry workers, for anybody within the United States of America. You don't need a passport. But it is a cross-cultural ministry to people who have very limited gospel exposure. So there are opportunities. Would that roll into a church plant someday? I don't know, but let's try. Let's try and see what God will do. Let's pray and let's work to fulfill this vision. Our church vision, y'all, is nothing more than our version of consistently walking alongside God's general vision. I hope you see that. Okay, so now the last thing. What about you? What about you as an individual? Okay, that's our third point. Find my vision. What should be your vision for your life? Generally, as adults, right, we have professional goals, we have fitness goals, financial goals, relationship goals, family goals. Do you have spiritual goals? Do you have spiritual goals for your life? As an individual, that's our first point, as an individual child of God, responsible before your loving Heavenly Father, your individual personal vision, spiritually speaking, has to be consistent with God's general vision for spiritual reproduction, right? So that means that you need to be dedicated to personal evangelism. You need to be dedicated to raising those new children in Christ and doing discipleship and training with them. The question is, are you? Are you pursuing that in your life? You might say, well, I've done it in the past and I'm kind of in a dry spell. Well, okay, do you desire it? Look, in the physical, right, there are, there are families who desperately want children, but for whatever reason can't seem to have children. Uh, in Genesis chapter 30, we have the story of Rachel, Jacob's wife, his favorite wife, if I could say it that way, <laughs> it's absolutely true, uh, who didn't have children. And she was tormented by her sister Leah, who wasn't the one that was chosen originally by Jacob, but she was fruitful and she had children. And it says in Genesis 30 and verse 1, notice the attitude. I just want to get the attitude across to you. When Rachel saw that she, in other words, Leah, bare Jacob, or was she herself, I'm sorry, bare Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister and said unto Jacob, give me children or else I die. Now I get it, she's kind of blaming Jacob. But at the same time, the attitude that she had, give me children or I have no reason to live. Why cumbereth it the ground? You know, you might not, it may have been a long time, maybe never, have you actually led somebody to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
But if you desire it with that zeal that Rachel desired children, if you would cry out to God with sincerity, Lord, give me children lest I die, you don't think that he'll hear that prayer? You don't think that he'll help you influence others? What a great attitude. So as an individual, you should have a vision for your life that includes winning people to Jesus Christ and making disciples that will win people to Jesus Christ. And lastly, as a part of FBC. As a part of First Baptist Church, your personal vision, your spiritual goals, should be consistent with the vision that we have as a church, right? We want to start new churches. You're a part of this church family. I want you to think about that. And so I just gave you some, some questions to think about. Could you be a part of a team that we send to start a new church somewhere? You say, well, I'm no preacher. Well, praise the Lord. We got enough of those. <laughs> this church is nothing if I'm doing all the stuff y'all do. I mean, I have my role and everybody has their role. I mean, churches need a whole lot more than just preachers, right? What do you do here? What are you good at? Could you do it in a new location? How about music? How about technology? How about graphics? How about just simply serving behind the scenes? How about construction and repair? Maybe you're just friendly and welcome people and churches need all those people. And could you train others to do what you're good at so that they can do it here while you move to one of these other cities that we're going to do it in another city? You know what that does for you, friend? That takes whatever it is you do. You're on the team that is a greeter. You're on a team that is an usher. You're on a team that helps count the offerings. You're on a team that does any number of things that we do around here. Train somebody else. You have discipleship in that area of service. Train somebody else to do that so that either you or he or she can then go do that as we multiply out and do it in new places. If you think strategically, if you think with vision... Your area of service, you under, begin to understand this is the last thing. Do you recognize how important you really are in helping fulfill God's vision for the world? A church is a body, and every single member is vitally important to the health of that body. Listen, this is a big vision. This is a God-sized vision. We live in a day and a time where churches are scrambling just to survive. And we have our challenges. Don't, don't, don't think we don't. But that's not good enough. We are going to abide, and we are going to have vision, and we are going to trust, and we are going to move forward. And we are going to move forward with anybody who is willing to move forward. That's what we're going to do. It's a God-sized vision. Let me just tell you something. This is, this is extra, but it's good. You know why trouble starts in churches? Trouble starts in churches because people lose this vision. They quit thinking about a world that needs Jesus Christ, and they think about me. And they think, I don't like the way you do that, and I like this better, and I wish, I can't believe you. Well, you know, bless your heart. <laughs> I picked that up in Alabama. Bless his heart. And that an ugly baby, bless his heart. <laughs> it's, a, it's a southerner's nice way of saying, yeah, shut up. No, that's not. <laughs> a, 
I'm kidding. Not really. Okay. <laughs> so what happens is people get all twisted about things that are very self selfish and self-centered. And, and I, when I came here, I, I thought to myself, man, if we just have the right vision, and if the vision incorporates reproduction and constantly training and sending people out to do new things, let's say that you're here and you love the teaching of this church, you love what we stand for, you believe what we believe, you're a part of what we do, but there's just something in you that's like, eh, you know, I don't like that thing. I don't like the way you do this. And a lot of people's favorite thing to pick on is music or some style, some preference of something. I wish that, you know, I wish you dressed nicer and wore a suit. I wish this. I wish you would. Whatever it is. I don't, just little things. Well, you know what the answer for you is, friend? Just hang on for a little while and go start your own church, man. <laughs> Take your style with you. Because the truth is, our style, it's not for everybody. But here's the thing, man. When you go start your own, then we have the same DNA. We're all family, right? But certainly there's people that prefer the things you prefer, and there's people that prefer the things others prefer, and let's just have more of us so there's more choices. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. So with that vision in front of us, we should never have church splits. We should never have people just getting all twisted about stuff. Just hang on for a little bit. Get your best group of friends that agree with you about whatever it is the thing is you agree about. And you just go do it. And then when everything goes wrong, it can be your fault, not mine. <laughs> I don't exactly know why I went into all that. <laughs> but I think it's time for us to pray. So let's do that. <laughs>